Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of the most prophetic chapters in the entire Bible. It's a very important chapter for everybody to know. And it's a chapter that a lot of Jewish people do not want to read because it proves that Jesus is their Messiah. The entire chapter is about Jesus on the cross. It was written by Isaiah close to 800 years before Jesus died on the cross. So Isaiah did see a vision of Jesus on the cross. Verse 1, Who hath given credence to that which we heard, and the arm of Jehovah, on whom hath it been revealed? Remember, the arm of a man is his son. The arm of Jehovah is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It says, On whom hath this arm been revealed? Meaning, who is revealed to be the Son of God? 2. Yea, he cometh up as a tender plant before him. Jesus was brought up in a mortal body on earth. That's what it means by a tender plant, because mortal human bodies are just like the grass. We die so easily. And the Son of God came in the form of a mortal man. And as a root out of a dry land, he hath no form nor honor when we observe him, nor appearance when we desire him. He wasn't raised in wealth. He was raised from a regular middle-class family. The father of the household was a carpenter. That's what it means by him being a root out of dry ground. He wasn't born in splendor and honor. And it also says he had no form or appearance. That would cause people to desire him, meaning he didn't draw people to him because of his looks. So he wasn't a rock star. He didn't have groupies like Hollywood likes to portray people hanging off of him because he was so sexy. That just absolutely isn't true. He looked very plain and very ordinary. People were attracted to Jesus because of the gospel he preached and the fact that they knew he was God. They weren't attracted to anything sensual. 3. He is despised and left of men, a man of pains, and acquainted with sickness, and as one hiding the face from us, he is despised and we esteemed him not. During Jesus' lifetime, he was despised by his own family. There was a point when even Mary was embarrassed about Jesus, and she and his siblings went to the temple to get him out of there because they didn't want him speaking in front of the crowds, telling everybody that he was God, because it embarrassed them. So even Mary had her weak points. But also there was one time when Jesus' brothers told him to his face that they wish he was dead. That was when they knew that the religious leaders would kill him as soon as he appeared in Jerusalem. And his brothers said, Why don't you go and show yourself in Jerusalem? Which is the exact same thing as saying, I hate you and I wish you would die. He was also abandoned and betrayed by his own disciples. When he was arrested, they all ran for their lives. And Peter even denied knowing him because Peter was afraid for his own life. And finally, on the cross, he was humiliated, spit on, mocked, because he was looked at as a subhuman. 4. Surely our sicknesses he hath borne, and our pains he hath carried them, and we, we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
It's true that usually when somebody is afflicted, people assume that that person is being punished for their sins. And that's why when Job was attacked by Satan, Job's own friends believed that the Lord was punishing him for his sins. And when Jesus was beaten and flogged and crucified, many of the onlookers believed that he deserved it that he must have deserved it, because God would only let a sinner be treated that way. And that isn't true. The Lord does allow his own precious saints to suffer for the glory of his name. And that is what happened to Job, and that's also what happened to Jesus. But in his suffering, many people fully believed that he deserved to suffer, because they didn't believe he was God, so they figured he had committed blasphemy, and they also figured that if he was a righteous man, that the Lord would have saved him from the cross. So he bore our sicknesses and our pains, and that's why his blood heals us. It heals us emotionally, psychologically, mentally, physically. It takes our diseases away. He sometimes allows us to suffer for his glory. So not everybody gets healed. But if you do get healed, it's because of his blood. In the Old Testament, when they made animal sacrifices, that blood could never heal anyone because it only had the power to atone for sins that people had repented of and no other power because it was the blood of innocent animals. But Jesus' blood is righteous, so it has the power not only to atone for sins that we have repented of, but also to transform our lives, to change our heart, our mind, our soul. His blood has the power to heal us as well as forgive our sins. 5. And he is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is on him, and by his bruise, there is healing to us. This has to be Jesus, because nobody else in the Bible was pierced, only Jesus. And it says that he was bruised. We know he was bruised before the Sanhedrin, when they beat him, and he was bruised again before Pilate, when the Roman soldiers beat him. And then he was pierced on the cross, when the nails went through his hands and feet. So this can't be anyone but Jesus. 6. All of us like sheep, we have wandered, each to his own way we have turned, and Jehovah hath caused to meet on him the punishment of us all. This is a general statement, but I believe it also refers to what happened with the disciples. Not only have all of us turned to sin, generally, every single human has sinned against the Lord, and Jesus was punished for the sin of all of us, but also his own disciples were scattered instantly when he was arrested. The only disciples that stayed close to him were John and Peter, but they both stayed a healthy, safe distance away during Jesus' trial. And then when he was on the cross, they weren't even close to him at all there. They didn't stand near the cross. They were too afraid to be associated with him. And all of the disciples hid for days in the upper room after he was crucified. So that is like the scattering of sheep as well. 7. It hath been exacted, and he hath answered, and he openeth not his mouth. This is exactly what happened with Jesus before Pilate, and before the Sanhedrin he said very little in his defense. 
All he did was confirm that he is the Son of God before the Sanhedrin, and before Pilate he refused to defend himself in any way, and even Pilate asked him, Why are you not defending yourself? But he went as a lamb before the slaughter. When a lamb is brought to the sacrifice, the lamb doesn't defend itself or plead its case. It goes silently, and that is how our Lord went. He was called to be the lamb of the world, the sacrifice for the entire world. As a lamb to the slaughter he is brought, and as a sheep before its shearers is dumb, and he openeth not his mouth. Dumb simply means that you can't talk, so all animals are dumb. Jesus acted as if he could not talk, but it was his choice not to talk. He laid his life down willingly. No one took his life from him. He is God. He gave it to us. 8. By restraint and by judgment he hath been taken, and of his generation who doth meditate, that he hath been cut off from the land of the living. Now this is a direct verse against anybody who claims that they are descendants of Jesus Christ. It says right here in this verse that he had no descendants. He died a virgin. He had no wives, no girlfriends, and no children. This verse says that he died young. He probably would have been about 31 when he died. And he had no following generations. Now we have more proof that he did not have a wife or children. There's no evidence anywhere in the Bible that Jesus had a wife. And the lamb is brought as a child. And Jesus was brought as a child of his father, God. And on the cross, he put his mother in the charge of John, the disciple, because it was his duty as the firstborn son to make sure that his mother was cared for. Now, if he had been married, it would have also been his duty to make sure that his wife was cared for. But he didn't put a wife in anyone's charge because he did not have a wife. The only one he was responsible for was his mother, Mary. By the transgression of my people, he is plagued. For our sin, he carried a plague on him, the plague of betrayal, the plague of rejection, the plague of sorrow, the plague of physical sickness and ailment. He only ate one meal before a day and a half cycle of abuse and fasting and no drink. And then when he was on the cross, they offered him vinegar, which nobody could drink. So he was also starved and completely dehydrated when he died. So he had the plague of starvation as well when he died. We'll talk about this later when we get to the New Testament. But by the time Jesus died, he had no blood left in his body. It was all gone through a process of all of the beatings, the sweating blood, the lashings, and the internal bleeding that took place on the cross. He had no blood left in his veins when he died. 9. And it appointeth with the wicked his grave and with the rich are his high places. Again, this can only be one person, Jesus Christ, because he died with the wicked on the cross. There were two thieves who were also murderers, one on each side of him, and yet he was buried in a rich man's tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, because he hath done no violence, nor is deceit in his mouth. He never spoke one lie, 
and he never will, and he never hurt even a reed. Remember, Isaiah had told us before he was the kind of person who wouldn't even bend a branch if he didn't have to. 10. And Jehovah hath delighted to bruise him, he hath made him sick. If his soul doth make an offering for guilt, he seeth seed, he prolongeth days, and the pleasure of Jehovah in his hand doth prosper. It delighted the Father that his Son should suffer for us, so that you and I could be healed. When he was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's a disorder. So I guess you could consider that his sickness. And then when he was on the cross completely dehydrated and famished, that would also be like a sickness as well. And the Father was delighted that his very Son, who never did anything wrong and who created us, should suffer for us. And that shows you how much God loves us. Not because we're great, but because God is great. Unfortunately today, a lot of people think that if God loves them, they're pretty awesome. But it's the other way around. If God loves us, it's because God is awesome. 11. Of the labor of his soul he seeth, he is satisfied. Through his knowledge, give righteousness doth the righteous one, my servant to many, and their iniquities he doth bear. He carried our sins on himself on the cross, and he became sin on the cross. He didn't become a sinner because sinners commit sin, and Jesus never committed sin, but he became sin itself. He was righteous, and you can't be a sinner and be righteous at the same time. But he carried the burden of our sin. Therefore I give a portion to him among the many, and with the mighty he apportioneth spoil, because that he exposed to death his soul, and with transgressors he was numbered, and he the sin of many hath borne, and for transgressors he intercedeth. When we repent and we ask the Lord to forgive us, the Son intercedes for us with the Father and asks the Father to forgive us because of his blood that was shed for our forgiveness. But again, we have to repent. We don't get instantly forgiven just because Jesus died on the cross, because if that were true, then everyone would already be saved. So when Christians think that they're instantly forgiven just because they know Jesus died on the cross, they're, for, they're leaving out the whole rest of the world, which somehow they don't believe is forgiven. The fact is, no one is forgiven until they repent. But his blood will do the entire work of our forgiveness, our healing, and our redemption, and our transformation into the born-again life. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 53.